So I want to ask you a question to begin this morning. Do you believe your best years are behind you? Or do you believe your best years are yet before you? Now, as you think about this question, I want you to think about it in the ways we've been talking about moving forward, right? So personally, you as an individual human being, are your best years behind you? Or are you as a person, are your best years yet before you? Think about it in terms of your family. In terms of your your family, particularly your immediate family. Are your best years behind you? Are your best years still yet before you? And think in terms of our church. Are the best years of our church behind us? Or are the best years of our church yet before us? The reason I ask this question is the way we answer this question will determine how long we go forward and how far forward we go. When a person or a family or a church determines their best years are behind them and not before them, they stop moving forward following Jesus. And they just either stop completely or just coast to go along. At the same time, those who believe that in their, their personal life, in their family, or in their church, the best years are before them. Well, they move forward. They don't back up. They don't let up. They don't shut up. They continually push forward following Jesus. Now, for us to be effective as disciples of Jesus, for us to be families devoted to Jesus, for us to be the church of Jesus that is all Jesus intended for us to be, we must continually push forward. And this means we have to believe our best years are yet before us. But this might raise a question. When do we get to stop? When have we arrived? When can we stop moving forward and just begin to coast? We'll see the answer to this in a story from the book of Joshua. Open your Bible to Joshua 14. We're going to read verses 6 through 15. It's on page 178 if you've got a pew Bible. When you find that, I want you to stand on the reading of God's Word. Joshua 14, verse 6 through 15. Then the children of Judah came to Joshua in Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenzite, said unto him, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God, concerning me and thee in Kadesh Barnea. Forty years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land whereon thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance and thy children's forever, because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. And now behold, the Lord hath kept me alive, as he said, these forty and five years, even since the Lord spake this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old. And yet, I am as strong this day as I was the day Moses sent me. As my strength was then, even so is my strength now. For to war, both to go out and to come in. Now therefore, give me this mountain, whereof the Lord spake in that day, but thou heardest in that day how, how, that, how the Anakim were there, 
and that the cities were great and fenced. If so be the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him and gave Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, Hebron for an inheritance. Hebron therefore became an inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the, the Kenzite, unto this day, because he wholly followed the Lord his God. And the name of Hebron before was Kirjath Arba, which Arba was a great man among the Anakim, and the land had rest from war. The title of the message is Never Stop Moving Forward. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome, worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. We come this morning with a desire to hear from you. That's why we're here. Lord, we wanted to connect with you and worship. We want to spend time praying with you. But Lord, we, we are desperate to hear from you. Lord, our world is a noisy world right now. Everything we own beeps and bops and demands for attention and clamors to tell us some new thing. And yet, Lord, what we need most is to hear from You. What we need most, God, is to hear what You would have for us. What we need most is for You to speak clearly through Your Word and Your Spirit into our lives, to challenge us and to change us, to strengthen us, to encourage us, to make us to be the people You want us to be. So God, give us ears to hear what Your Spirit is saying to us this morning. Give us hearts to obey what Your Word has for us this day. Give us a a willingness, God, to determine Your will and to do it no matter the cost or the difficulty or what obstacles lie before us. Guide us in this, this few moments we have to shut out The noisy, beeping, bopping world. Just be present here with you and your spirit and your word. Fill me with your spirit and give me clarity of thought, clarity of speech, and help me not to be a hindrance in anything you want said or anything you want done. Let us respond in faith, doing your will, we ask in the mighty name of Christ our Savior. Amen. You may be seated. There are two facts about Caleb I want us to notice before we answer the question. When have we arrived? Or when do we stop moving forward? First is age in verse 10. Four score and five. He is 85 years old. Second, notice his statement in verse 12. Now give me this mountain. He's 85 years old. And he's ready to move forward and take a mountain filled with bad guys. Not just bad guys though, but, but the Anakim. Now you want to remember who the Anakim were in the Old Testament times? They were giants. Heroes of renown. right? A race of giants descended from the man Anak. So he's 85 years old. He's ready to move forward to take a mountain filled with giants and fortified cities. So when have we arrived? When do we stop moving forward? The answer is never. Right? So the key truth for us today, so long as God gives us breath, we move forward. So long as God gives us breath, we move forward. Now our roles may change over time. We see this with Caleb. Right? First, he's just a scout. Then he's a, a warrior in the army of Israel, but now he's leading 
and taking people out to move forward. Our roles may change over time for a variety of issues. But as long as God gives us breath, we keep moving forward. And using the example of Caleb, I want to show you three character traits we need to continually move forward while God gives us breath. First, we need the courage to stand. Right? Caleb was courageous. And, and while I'm sure Caleb was a courageous warrior, it's not the courage I'm talking about. Look at verse 6 and 7. He said, Thou knowest the thing the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God, concerning me and thee and Kadesh Barnea. Forty years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to espy the land, and I brought him word as was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Right? So, this is a kind of a, a restatement of something that's already happened. And, and most of us, I think, are familiar with the story. But if we're not, let me just kind of give a quick summary. Moses led the people up to the edge of the promised land. And he sent out 12 spies. 10, I don't remember, and Joshua and Caleb. And the 12 spies went and they looked at the land God had given them. They came back and all 12 said, It is indeed a great land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, as the Lord has said. And then there were ten who said, however, there are giants in the land. There are fortified cities in the land. If we go, we will die. We will be devoured by the land. We, we are like insects in their eyes. But Joshua and Caleb said, not so. Sure, there are giants in the land. Sure, there are walled cities in the land. But if the Lord our God be for us, it doesn't matter who is against us. And the people cried all night long, Oh God, why have you brought us here to die? And Joshua and Caleb continually said, No, let's go forward. Let's follow God. Let's trust Him. And the people got so tired of hearing Joshua and Caleb say, let's move forward. Let's continue to go and do what God wants us to do. That the people spoke of stoning them. Caleb's courage came in his ability to stand alone if necessary. For what he knew to be God's will. He knew God had given them the land of promise. He knew God was commanding them to move forward. He knew that was God's will. And he had the courage to stand and say, everyone else is wrong. We must move forward following God. Where did this courage come from? Look at the last of verse 8. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. His devotion to God gave him the courage to stand for the truth of God. God said he would give him the promised land. And because of his devotion to God, Caleb believed God. But he stood against those who said God couldn't or wouldn't do what he had said he would do. Caleb had the courage to stand. The people of God have often had to have the courage to stand in the midst of a people who didn't like what they stood for. Do we have the courage to stand? One of the best examples, one probably the most familiar along these lines is 
In Daniel 3, three Hebrew men told to bow before Nebuchadnezzar's golden statue. Right? He creates the statue and at the sound of the music, everyone in the land is supposed to fall down and bow before it and worship it. And the music plays and everyone falls except Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. And they say, no, we're not going to. The king finds out, gets angry, threatens to kill him, tells him, if you don't bow, I'm going to give you one more chance, but if you don't bow, I'm going to throw you in the fire. What God is there that can deliver you out of my hand? They say, we don't have to even really put forth a lot of effort to think about how to answer you. We ain't going to bow. Our God can deliver us, but even if He chooses not to, we'll not bow before your idols. They stood when everyone else bowed. What about us? Does our devotion to Jesus give us the courage to stand for Jesus? This is an important question for us to wrestle with because make no mistake, the culture around us is becoming increasingly hostile to our belief in Jesus. The culture around us is becoming increasingly hostile to our belief in what the Bible says is right and true and good and pure. And the day is coming Sooner than we ever imagined in which others will bow before the idols of our culture and Christians will have a choice. Kowtow and bow or stand and suffer the consequences. Now in America we've not really ever had to do that. But it's coming. Far faster than we think it is. But this isn't a surprise. Jesus knew this day would come. He warned us about it and in fact told us what to do. Right? So first notice this. Think not, I am come to send peace on the earth. I come not to send peace, but a sword. What a statement. Right? Jesus, the truth of Jesus being the Christ, the Son of God, the only Savior of the world will not always be accepted. Truth will cause strife. It will divide people. It will bring division in lives. To what extent will this cause problems and divide people? Well, Jesus said that He has come to set a man at variance against his father, the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's foe shall be of his own household. So the day will come when the opposition to Jesus is so great That those who push us to bow down will be in our family. Our spouse, our children, our parents, our uncles, our aunts, our in-laws. It will be people who are closest to us. And they will say, why don't you just bow to the culture? Why don't you just be like everyone else? All of these other churches are bowing. All of these other Christians are bowing. Why won't you? And we have to decide what to do in that moment. Because in that moment, it's going to bring a harsh division. And if we don't bow, it will cost us those relationships. We will lose the relationship with our children, our spouse, our parents, our in-laws. What do we do? What do we do when standing for Jesus is going to cost us These close relationships. Well, look at what Jesus says. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. 
He that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. He that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. We're to stand for Jesus, for His truth, no matter the cost, no matter the consequences. Are we ready to do that? Do we have the courage to stand? Now, it's easy to say yes right now if we're not in that position. But will we have the courage to stand for Jesus when standing for Jesus makes our lives difficult? Because the day will come where it will. Will we stand for Jesus when it makes our lives uncomfortable? Will we have the courage to stand for Jesus when this stand causes problems with our friends? And not not just problems like they don't like it, but we lose friends. They actively become our enemies because of it. Do we have the courage to stand when standing for Jesus causes difficulties in our families? It causes the people like our sons and our daughters and our in-laws and our spouses to have nothing to do with us. Listen, history is filled with examples of that. The early church, the Jewish early church, when they converted to Christianity, they were put out of the synagogues, they were put out of their families, spouses left them, parents abandoned them, children denied them. It happens every day like that in Muslim-majority countries. When a person in a Muslim-majority country converts to Christianity, it costs them everything. Will we have the courage to stand when it's going to cost us our family members? Do we have the courage to stand when standing for Jesus is physically painful? Again, right now, in America, we've never had to deal with that. But it is a reality. Check out Voice of the Martyrs. Right now, today, people who believe in Jesus will die They will be beaten and they will suffer and they will die for simply believing in Jesus and not being willing to renounce Him because of the culture around them. Do not think that is related to history or to some obscure part of the world. It is coming here. Make no mistake. Will we have the courage to stand when standing causes us to be beaten, causes physical pain in our lives. Will we have the courage to stand when standing for Jesus causes us to financial pain? Again, not not something we've experienced here. But make no mistake, it's coming. Again, this has happened all over the world, all through history. Jews were fired from their jobs when they converted to Christianity in the early church. Christians in other parts of the world have been fired from their jobs because they converted to Christianity. Even in America. I saw an article this week that there was a, a I think it was Kroger. They, they gave out rainbow LBGTQ robes to all of their employees told them to wear it for June, I guess it was June Pride Month, 
and the employees who refused to wear it were fired. Now, chances are those were like stockholders, right? So they're high school students. That's not like it is for adults to lose a job. But make no mistake, that's coming. The day is coming in which the jobs of the world will say, do you believe homosexuality is a sin? If so, you can't be hired. Do you believe Jesus is the only way? If so, you can't be hired. You're going to have to lose your job. What will we do in that moment? What will we do on that day when standing for Christ is going to cost us financially? Will we stand or will we bow? We have to, to answer that question. We have to be ready to deal with that. And, and let me just one more, and, I, and I'll quickly go through this, because I don't want to be a, a meddling preacher, right? We have the courage to stand for Jesus when standing for Jesus goes against our preferred political party. Because right? make no mistake, there is no political party that is the exact opposite, or the exact fit with Christianity. Are you going to stand with your political party when aborting children is a huge part of their platform? Is that what you're going to do? You're okay with that? You're going to stand against it or bow to it? Or if your party is doing terrible things to people? I read an article this week, and it's not necessarily the Republican Party doing it. But down at the border where the, the camps are, they're giving hysterectomies to women against their will. Several have come out with that. Will we stand against that? Or will we bow to it and act like it's not a big deal because it's our party? There will come a time where every party will go against Christ in some way. Because no political party is about the glory of God. They are always about their own power and their own significance. And our party, no matter what party we're a part of, will at some point go against Jesus. What will we do in that moment? Will we stand for Christ against our political party or will we bow to the culture of our party? Will we have the courage to stand? For the most part, standing with and for Jesus hasn't been too costly in America. But as I said, those days are rapidly coming to an end. What are we going to do when this happens? Will we stop? Or will we stand and keep moving forward? God's intention is so long as He gives us breath, we move forward. But this requires us to have the courage to stand. We need the courage to stand, but we also need the strength to continue. God, through Moses, had told Caleb, promised Caleb, He would... Have the land he explored as a scout for his inheritance. That's what he says in verse 9. Sure, the land whereupon thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance and thy children's forever. Because thou hast wholly followed the Lord thy God. God had kept Caleb alive these 40 years. God had kept Caleb as strong these 40 years. As strong as he was that day that he went. And so now he comes to Joshua. And he says, give me my mountain. He asks for his mountain so he can move forward following God. 85 years old, he's going to go fight giants. He's going to go conquer fortified cities. He's going to take his mountain. Being 85 isn't a reason he's going to stop. He's not going to stop. He's not going to 
pick somebody from his family, tell them to go and conquer the mountain while he sets on the seashore and then moves on in after it's been conquered. He has the strength, so he'll keep moving forward. Years ago, Pastor John Piper told two stories as he preached to a group of college students. And he said, one of these stories is a tragedy and the other is not. Let me tell you these two stories and see if you can figure out which one is a tragedy. The first is a story of two women from his church. Ruby Ellison and Laura Edwards. Both were in their 80s. Ruby was a nurse and Laura was a doctor. They went to Cameroon on a medical mission trip. While they were there, they were driving from village to village doing medical missions. The brakes of their vehicle gave out. They went over the cliff and they died instantly. The other story is about two people he read about in Reader's Digest. Their names were Bob and Penny. They took early retirements from their jobs when he was 59 and she was 51. At the time of the article, they had moved from the Northeast to Florida. where They had bought a boat and they cruised on their boat. They played softball and they collected seashells. Now, which story is the tragedy? Well, contrary to what we might be tempted to think, the tragedy is Bob and Penny. Their story is the tragedy. Their story is the tragedy because this life is not all there is. And there will come a day when Bob and Penny will stand before God and give an account for what they did with what He had given them. Imagine the difference in judgment day between those two groups of people. One stands before God with a lifetime of service and sacrifice to Jesus right up to the moment of their death. And the other has a shiny boat, a good softball swing, and a brilliant collection of seashells. Jesus does not call upon us to live the American dream, retire to the beach, collect seashells, and die. Jesus calls upon us to faithful service and devotion to Him until He calls us home. Abraham was 75 when he was called out of the land of Ur to a land God would show him. John was likely in his 70s or 80s when he wrote the book of Revelation encouraging Christians and churches all over the world. Paul was likely in his 60s when he was executed, still preaching the gospel to the moment of his death. I can say with honesty, I don't look forward to, with longing and longing, look forward with longing toward retirement. So I can go and do what I really want to do. Serving Jesus. Preaching the word. Sharing the gospel. Seeking to advance the kingdom. That's what I really want to do. And when the day comes and I retire from active pastoral ministries. I'll not be moving to a beach to collect seashells. All I'll be doing is moving from one way of serving Jesus. To another way of serving Jesus. But the idea of the strength to continue isn't merely for those who may be a bit older. As a way of saying don't give up. Don't retire and collect seashells. It's also for those who are a bit younger to say, start serving Jesus. Start sharing the word. Start sharing the gospel. Start seeking to advance the kingdom and don't stop. There isn't an idea that there is this age limit. Of when you start, right? You, you, you sow all your wild oats, you get through college, you get settled down, and you, you kind of start in. But the problem with that 
is once you get to that point and you kind of settle down there, what happens is you start having kids and now it's, you can't do that because you've got to do all these things with your kids. And you've got all these kid activities you're going to do. You can't be faithful in such Jesus. So when they would get up and they move out, you're not doing that stuff, then you'll do it. But then, well, then you're at retirement age just about. So you retire and you move to the seashells. And all the while you've wasted your life. You've never served Jesus. You've never advanced the kingdom. You've never helped anyone come to know Christ as their Savior. So to those who are on the younger side of life, I say, start serving Jesus. And don't stop until He calls you home. But it's also for those who are struggling. As a way to say, don't give up serving Jesus. Don't give up sharing the word. Don't give up sharing the gospel. Don't give up seeking to advance the kingdom. Keep going. Life's hard. It just is. And there are times where life is harder than it is at other times. And the great challenge in those times when all is hard is the challenge to keep going. The challenge to not give up. Because giving up is easier Always, but especially when life is hard. When we're discouraged. We're disillusioned. We feel pressed and struggling in life. So if you're struggling here today, my challenge to you is don't give up. Keep going in serving Jesus. And the reason we're to keep going is what it says in verses 10 and 11. The Lord had kept Caleb alive. The Lord had given Caleb the strength. And if the Lord was with Caleb, he could drive them out. Here's the the, the idea. If you have the strength to keep going, keep going. If God is fighting for you, it doesn't matter how big the enemy is. Keep going. God has kept you alive. God has given you the strength. Don't give up. God still gives us the strength we need. I love this passage. It's part of my Bible reading this week. 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18. It says, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look at the things... Not, look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And the outer man is perishing on all of us, no doubt. But this outer perishing isn't all that's going on. There's also a day-by-day renewal happening from God. Renewing us, strengthening us for the work ahead to keep going. And what we're working for is far greater Than anything we endure, anything we lose along the way. We won't faithfully serve Jesus, die, arrive in heaven and see Him and and wish we'd collected more seashells. We won't faithfully serve Jesus, die, arrive in heaven, see Jesus and wish we'd sowed more wild oats. We won't... Live for Jesus, die, arrive in heaven, see Jesus, and wish we had waited a little bit longer to get serious about Jesus. We won't live for Jesus, die, go to heaven, see Jesus, and wish we had just given up sooner. 
we won't live for Jesus. Die. Arrive in heaven, see Jesus, and wish we had chosen an easier path. If there is any regret and any longing at all, it will be the other way around. They'll wish we had collected fewer seashells, sowed less wild oats, started sooner for Jesus, kept on going, chosen a harder path for Him. There is no age limit to serving Jesus. There is no point where we reach an age and now it's time to get serious about serving Jesus. If we have repented of our sins and we have believed upon Jesus Christ, it is time to get serious about serving Jesus. So long as God gives us breath, we move forward. And this requires us to have the strength to continue. So we need the courage to stand, the strength to continue, and the faith to fight. Look at Joshua 15, verse 13. It says, And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, gave, he gave a part of the children of Judah, according to the commandment of the Lord, to Joshua, even the city of Arba, the father of Anak, which city in Hebron. Caleb drove thence the three sons of Anak, and I'm not going to try to say those names, and he went up thence to the inhabitants of Debir, and the name of Debir before with Kirjath Sefer. Caleb took it, basically, is what this all tells us about. He, he got the land. But how did he get it? He, he got it because he fought in verse 12. Give me the mountain. If the Lord is for me, I'll be able to drive them out. Joshua blessed him and sent him. And he went and he conquered the land. He went and fought the battle because he still believed God was able. Forty years ago, he believed God was able to give the people the land. They didn't have to worry about the giants or the fortified cities. They could go. God could do it. Forty years had passed. He had not changed his mind. He still knew what God could do. He had the faith to fight for what God had promised. So again, I ask, what about us? Do we have the faith to fight for what God has promised? Do we have the faith to fight for what matters? Now, when I think about this passage, this idea, there's a passage that came to my mind from Nehemiah. Now, let me kind of tell you the story of Nehemiah that builds up to this. Nehemiah, he is the cupbearer of the king. He has friends come from Jerusalem and he asks them how the city is and it's still a wreck. Heart's broken. Prays, pours out his heart to God, asks God to intervene. He goes before the king and has got anguish of soul. The king asks him about it. He says, my homeland is a wreck. The king says, well, what, what would you like me to do? And he says, well, let me go and, and rebuild the walls and I'll, I'll come back. So he goes. And as, as you always find, when you try to do the will of God, there's people that don't like it. The enemy doesn't relax when the will of God is... The work of God is going forward. So they began to face opposition. First it was just like people talking bad about them. Then it was people kind of being mean. Then it was threats. So the threats get to the point to where when they build the wall, what they have to do is they, they, they build the wall with one hand and they hold a sword with another. And they've got somebody with a, a trumpet. And so if, they, if there's an attack, they blow the trumpet and they all rally together to fight. And so these aren't warriors. I mean, the, the, the people there aren't warriors. They're, they're people that have gone back. They're former refugees that have come back to their homeland. They're, they're not warriors by any stretch of the imagination. And so Nehemiah is trying to rally them to fight. So here's what he tells them. And I looked and I rose up and I said to the nobles, to the rulers, to the land, to the rest of the people, be not afraid of them. Remember the Lord, 
which is great and terrible or awesome. Fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. And so first he reminds them of God. God is great. God is awesome. We are doing the work of God. Stay the course because our God is great. Our God can give us the victory. But he reminds them they're not just fighting for themselves. They're fighting for their brethren, their sons, their daughters, their wives, their very homes. Can't you see how our world today needs disciples of Jesus who see this way? Who recognize the Lord is great and awesome. And recognize there is something worth fighting for. That we are fighting for our, our brothers, our sons, our daughters, our wives, and our houses, our churches, our community. Our, our world desperately, desperately needs disciples of Jesus who are tired of seeing the devil win in individual lives, in their life, in their family, in their church, and in their community. Who realize their families are worth fighting for. And will stand and say no more. No more. I mean I'm going to fight against it. I'm not going to passively sit here. And let this happen. My God is awesome. My God is great. And if He's for me I'll win this battle. I'm going to fight no matter what. The thing is though. If you... Won't fight for your wife. Who will? If I won't fight for my wife. Who will? If you won't fight for your husband. Who will? If you don't fight for your children. If I don't fight for my children. Who will? If you don't fight for your church. If I don't fight for my church. Who will? If you don't fight for Gaiman. If I don't fight. For Guyman, who will? If you don't fight for your co-workers, if I don't fight for my co-workers, who will? If you won't fight for your friends, and I won't fight for my friends, who will? Well, the devil will. That's who. Without fail, he will, and he is. He's looking right now. For ways in all of our marriages. To steal, kill and destroy. He's looking for ways in our children's life. To steal, kill and destroy. He's looking for ways in our church. To steal, kill and destroy. He's looking for ways in our community. To steal, kill and destroy. The world isn't going to fight against him. They're under his sway. Politicians aren't going to fight against him. They, he's not a part of their platform. Not a part of what they're having to deal with. It falls to us as disciples of Jesus who believe what the Bible says about the greatness of our God and the reality of spiritual warfare and will have the faith to fight. Spiritual battles just always be a part of life as believers in Jesus Christ. The enemy of our souls is not going to give up ground easily. And he's not just going to Give up on not taking new ground. He is aggressive. He's not one to just hold what he has. 
He holds what He has so He can launch in and take more ground. So we have to keep fighting. So long as God gives us breath, we must move forward. And this means we must have the faith to fight. So I want to go back to the question I posed at first. Do you believe your best years are behind you? Or do you believe your best years are yet to come? Personally, you as an individual person, are your best years behind you? Or are there still the best years to come? With your family, are the best years behind you? Or are the best years still before you? With our church, are the best years behind you, behind us, or are the best years still before us? If you say behind me, my question is why? We serve a God of hope who fills us with all joy and peace and believing so that we will abound with hope for the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what the Bible says. Hope is forward. If God has still given us strength, there's still a forward for us. The best still yet to come. We can't, no matter what, no matter how old we are, no matter how young we are, no matter the tragedies we've suffered in our life, no matter anything else, we can't say, well, the best was back there. Not, not if we believe the Bible. The God of hope has filled us with all joy and peace in believing, so we abound in hope. Through the Holy Spirit, hope is always full. If you say, no, I, I do believe my best is yet to come. Our best is yet to come. And the question is, what are you doing? What are you doing to kind of move forward into that? What are you doing to take your mountain and receive the fullness of the promises of God like Caleb did? If we're going to move forward and we're going to say, I'm never giving up. I believe the best is yet to come then we must we must have the courage to stand because there will always be opposition we must have the strength to continue because it's always going to be hard and we must have the faith to fight because there is always a fight from the enemy as we seek to move forward right, let's stand and we just want to have a time to to pray now, if you want to come to the altars to pray, you can, or you can pray where you are.